The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, a tectonic shift despite today's solid rally. Some of the most high-profile tech stocks licking their wounds from record highs hit just one year ago. Is the pain in the rearview mirror or still ahead for us? And later, the chairman of the CME Group will tell us why he told FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried that he was a fraud right to his face over six months ago. He also warned Congress, what was it that raised red flags about SBF? Plus, a new bet on a comeback for the home builders. The tail of the tape on two retailers headed in different directions and an iconic football club that could be set up for sale by its American owners. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site. We've got a full house here on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Bottom Ice, and Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the anniversary of a major market milestone. It was one year ago today that the NASDAQ hit its intraday high, climbing to a record of over 16,200. And what a year it's been since. The tech-heavy index has fallen more than 30% from its peak, outpacing losses in the Dow and S&P in that period. And take a look at some of the biggest stocks in the index, or at least what had been the biggest stocks in the index. Meta losing two-thirds of its value in the past year. Netflix, Tesla, NVIDIA all cut in half, even Amazon down nearly 50%. With all major indices well in the green today, closing near their highs of the session, could we be setting up for a comeback rally into year end? It's the holiday season. We want to try and be a little bit positive here. Before we go to the naysayers on the desk, Guy, what do you think? Absolutely. The market's going to rip higher. Ho, ho. Is it possible? Yeah, of course it's possible. Is it going to happen? I don't think it's going to happen. And if you go back to this time last year, we've made a series of lower highs and lower lows in the S&P. The NASDAQ, despite the fact that it's bounced over the last month-ish, is still expensive. And in this environment, I think the overall market is still expensive. And don't look past the fact that now twos, tens is approaching 75 basis points inversion, probably on the way to 1%, which, again, I say it all the time, I'm not an economist, but they can't be particularly good. So the rally made sense given what we saw, I want to say, October 14th or so when the VIX topped out at 35. But Tim will tell you at a VIX of 21, the exact opposite now is true. Yeah, I'll just say this. Those top five names that make up about 40% of the NASDAQ 100, you know what they are. They're Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. And Tesla, you just gave the performance of those over the last year. Here's the thing that's really important to me. All of them just guided lower for the quarter that we are in right now. Okay, so they had kind of disappointing results in Q3 and guided lower. And I guess I would say is like we're just starting to feel the effects of these rate hikes as they move through the economy, as we know we have a weak global economy. And so to me, I just don't think it's going to be a one quarter guide lower and we're out of this. So, you know, at the end of the day, these are the stocks that kind of led us in the bull market. 
on the way up. Um, they're starting to lead to the downside, but I would really follow the estimate revisions until they come down enough, until valuations look reasonable enough, and until we have a good sense for what the economy is going to look in the back half of 2023. I think it's really hard to chase these stocks. They could rally a little bit more, but again, I just don't think they're going to have legs. Right now, the S&P is down 16% of the year. That does not seem to encapsulate all that went wrong this past year. I, I get that you may not think that it's a one-quarter guide down, but a lot is in the stock already. And we're, we've been saying for a long time, Tim, you've been saying that you want to hear that guide down from these companies Absolutely. before we can move higher. We got it. So yeah, we, we didn't. I, I don't think we I don't. The, the consumer's not dead. This is part of the problem. I mean, the consumer's got a job. The consumer's spending. The consumer's working down their their entire savings. So, in fact, savings rates, we're all following this data, are at 13 year lows. And, and so you have a case where it's really hard to see the economy fall out of bed when, in fact, the consumer's doing OK. I it, first of all, I think you want to buy semiconductors with both hands, especially a Taiwan semi when you hear about that iPhone warning. Uh, but we haven't really gotten a, a warning, at least in terms of shipments. I, yes, we heard about some deceleration. We've heard about some uh, dynamics out of China. But you know, to me, the, the obvious place that Dan brings up, the, that the market is, we all know the market's very different, but where it's, it, it's, you have to tell a different story around interest rates. We're, we're 375 Fed funds points from where we were a year ago. And we're a place where we still haven't seen the impact of that Fed funds. That's why this market is moving in phases. And it's why we've, we've I think, been quick to point out the trading ranges on this show. Look, 4065 on the S&P, there's no reason why we don't get there. Semiconductors, which gave you a 35% move off that CPI intraday low, are, are, are holding in there fantastically. Like, you can't, you really can't argue with the price action. But again, it's a market that's cashed up and, and sentiment's been awful. So speaking about what's been incorporated into the market, I think a lot of the bloat from loose monetary policy is what's really been baked in. And that's where we've seen this multiple compression. But as the other panelists have said, these guide lowers are really what's going to need to be priced in. And it's that E that to that PE multiple that really needs to be factored in more. And that's going to be the second segment of what likely leads us lower. And speaking of the consumer, sure, it's healthy. But we've all said, listen, what we want companies that can withstand inflation, that can raise prices, and that have strong balance sheet. Well, we are watching a consumer that has an eroding balance sheet. Yes, wages are, are growing, but probably 2 to 3% below inflation. You have a situation where they are tapping into those savings. Oh, and you're watching credit card balances climb as interest rates are the highest they've been in since at least I can remember. I don't know Guy. But, uh, I mean, this, is, this uh-huh. sets up for a situation <laughs> where we t- we're talking about the health of the consumer. And I think that is very different than the propensity to spin. We are seeing a consumer that's willing to continue to fuel spinning with debt, but the capacity constraint will kick in at some point. Debt service and cost has definitely gone up. Yeah. It's gone up for the consumer, but they haven't gone up as fully as one might think considering the rise in rates that we've seen, and that's simply because people have not moved. So as that starts to work through completely, that'll be even more costly for the consumer. Can't this be a much more protracted sort of work through when it comes to the impact of these Fed rates. I think that's exactly right. A lot, everybody wants things to happen quickly, want to get through it by the first quarter of next year. The reality is we might be slogging through this thing all of next year into 2024, a lot of people think. And that's not unreasonable to think. I mean, historically, that's what a cycle is, right? And to the earlier point, to Tim's point, I don't think the full effect of this Fed uh, raising rates is felt in the market. And it's just a matter of time before it is. And I'll say this again, to discount all the things that we see, you know, all the warning signs that are still there and just look at the price action of the S&P and think everything is fixed. 
Just because the market's gone up doesn't mean everything has been fixed. Yeah, and when you think about the market, again, we're, Tim just mentioned ranges. We're approaching that downtrend that's been in place in the S&P 500 since its all-time highs the first week of this year. And again, you see this declining 200-day moving average, and you see the VIX approaching this kind of uptrend that it has been in. It's made a series of higher lows here, and it's been actually a telltale sign when the VIX has gotten, I think you mentioned this, down towards that 20 level. Um, you want to sell stocks, and you know what I mean? Like, it's just that, been that simple here. So I think about what's going to happen when we get back from the Thanksgiving holiday. We know that we're going to have the November jobs report. Then we know that we're going to have, um, I think, on the 13th, um, the CPI CPI reading. And then we're going to have this Fed meeting. And think about how explosive stocks were and rates to the other side on just slightly better than expected uh, inflation reading. So that does have the potential to be an explosive cocktail to the upside, especially when you think about where we are in the year, if we can continue to get through some of these technical levels. I'm just not positioned for that in the stock market because what I think very convicted is that valuation and some of this fundamental stuff that we're talking about, we're just not done yet. Okay. So to me, you might get a rally. The higher they go in December, I think the more they're going to drop early next year. And and the other dynamic that's important to to tell about where we are different from last year is not that the two years gone from 50 bips to to 450. It's that the structure of the market is changing. And we know that you had to have the leadership from the biggest companies in the world. Right now, Tesla's the fifth largest company in the world. Should it really be the fifth largest company in the world. And this is after a massive move lower. I just think that we're, we're starting to see, uh, we talk about the impact of passive investing. We talk about the impact of, of just where there, there's why been. Why should it not be the fifth largest company in the world? I, I just think when you consider both the size of their business, the size of the sector that they operate in, and I still don't even know what sector they operate in, um, I, I look at some of the euphoria that's been around this stock. I mean, I, I, I just don't think it should be. I, now, some of that is talking from a place where I think the real economy is finding its way back into the stock market in ways that mm-hmm. I, I think it probably should. And I think a lot of companies, even that are real economy stocks, are tech stocks, too. I think Tesla's a car company. So let's see what happens. If we got rates to three and a half on the 10-year, does that make a difference, Bonwin? Does that make you more bullish the stock market? Uh, it sure. It, it makes me probably more bullish the housing market, but it doesn't make me more bullish the stock market or any market, really, for that matter, because of the path to get there. And I think it, that will be recessionary pressure. Not, not an indication of, of, of borrow and lending rates and, and other monetary policy, things of that nature. 3.5% tenure suggests things continue to slow, and although the knee-jerk reaction will be higher stocks, Carter Worth talks about that. I think when people realize that rates are going lower for the wrong reasons, they're going to realize that the market is still expensive, to Bonowin's earlier point. So short-term bullish, yes. Long-term, no good, because I will tell you, 3.5% in the tenure, that two years still going to be four and a quarter, four and a half. And again, an inverted yield curve that's just going to get worse. All right. So the question is, is the selling over for tech? Our next guest says not so fast. Dan Suzuki is a deputy chief investment officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors. He joins us here on set. Dan, great to see you in person. Good to see you guys. I miss you. I <laughs> miss you too. <laughs> Good to see you here. Um, so tech, it's still going to be under pressure here? I think so. Uh, For all the reasons that you guys said, I think that makes 100% sense. And there's been zero capitulation, let's just be clear. I mean, it's still the most expensive part of the market. And I think if you look at sector flows year to date, it's number one in sector flows. So where's the capitulation that we're looking for? I think bubbles take time to deflate. You know, this is pretty pretty early days. And when is the last time you saw a bubble correct softly 30% and then you're off to the races? It takes time. It probably takes more pain before we get there. We were just citing all these stats, though, about how the biggest companies have deflated to to the tune of 50%. 
percent or even more over the past year. What is so bubblicious about these stocks at this point? It's like the you know the the ten thousand dollar handbag that's now eight thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. It's still not a good price. I think that uh, one way to look at it, I think if you go back to the uh, the tech bubble, which there's a lot of parallels. Clearly, there's differences. Uh, the, tech, the tech and telecom was like 40% of the market. At the end of the day, when everything crashed, it was 16% of the market. And this time around, we've gone from, I think it's now broadened out to three sectors, communication services, consumer discretionary, technology. They made up about 50% of the market. That's come down to about 40 there's probably still more deflating to happen. So, Dan, when you talk about capitulation, it hasn't happened yet. We've seen parts of the market where it, we're really close. It, maybe it's crypto. Maybe it's SPACs. A lot of these are going to be dis- delisted, going to zero. A lot of non-profitable tech are down 70, 80 percent or so. What would define capitulation um, is, as it relates to the broad market? Again, you know, the S&P is down 16 percent, and some of those massive tech names still make up a disproportionate amount of the weight of that index of 500 stocks. I think you could look at it a lot of different ways, Dan. One, uh, those flows probably have to go the other direction, right? Valuations probably, you know, it's trading at a huge premium to the rest of the market. That valuation gap at least has to close, if not go the other direction. Uh, And I think that we have to all stop talking about it, right? I mean, the fact that it's the center of every conversation and every network has a show dedicated to that sector, it tells you a little bit about about where it's Are there other networks other than CNBC? No, only the the CNBC. I'm just just, just wondering, (laughs) asking. But but let me ask you, you, because you've you've been out there for this view, and I think you've been right. And even though Apple's only down 7%, I think this is the point you're making. Um, what part of the market do you like here as, as we're seeing this shift and there are parts of the economy that are working? Yeah, I think there's a couple ways to look at it. I mean, we're, when we're in an environment where the macro fundamentals are deteriorating, profits are slowing, we think we'll be in a profits recession, liquidity is going to continue to tighten, you want to focus on high-quality defense overall. So that's the, probably the number thing we're focusing on in our portfolios. That said, there are areas now I think that are becoming interesting in being able to play, actually play a little bit of offense here. I mean, you can get some pretty phenomenal upside returns at a certain places in the market in, in a market in a, in a Time, at a time where market fundamentals are deteriorating. One of those places, I think, is increasingly China. You know, we talk about slowing profits and tightening liquidity. That's just not the case in China. And then the other place is long-term treasuries, right? I think if we're right and growth is going to be the predominant driver of markets going forward, growth is going to mean lower interest rates, and that's going to be means upside and potentially huge upside for long-term treasuries here. So there's Opportunities to take offense where in this year you really haven't had that many so far. So you're comfortable with the whim of the Chinese government when it comes to COVID lockdowns and the COVID policy? Because we're seeing lockdowns now that some say affect 20 percent of China's GDP. I mean, haven't we all been subject to the whim of China for the last three to five years? I mean, the, 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 if you think about 2020, it was the epicenter of the pandemic crisis. They fully went into lockdown, control their economy. Yet it was one of the best performing markets. Since then, the rest of the world has come surging back. But now the rest of the world is slowing. In that environment where things are actually bottoming, I think that makes for a nice, interesting contrast with the rest of the world. Dan, good to see you. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, guys. Dan Appreciate Suzuki. Um, just yesterday, we had Julian mm. Emanuel on, Jules, Jules. as yeah, he's known yeah. here on the he best guys. And he also liked China, which I thought is interesting. So two days in a row. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we've seen this, in, you know, when 
when cycles seem to be changing, right? You know, we're so U.S.-centric um, here. And again, we've seen it in Europe. We've seen it. Tim obviously speaks about emerging markets a lot. And the valuations are always going to look um, a bit more attractive there. I guess we've spent a lot of time on this desk over the last couple of years, I mean, talking about is China investable, right? And if you said no, you've been right for a very long time. There's been kind of some, some fits and starts here. Again, I, I just don't like the, the geopolitical, um, what I think is coming, you know what I mean, with this kind of bipolar world that the U.S. Um, is going to be in with China for the, for the foreseeable future, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, I think you make a good point, but I think it's the uncertainty and the whims of the Chinese government versus what certainly looks like a tightening, quantitative tightening, monetary tightening, uh, more challenging earnings environment here. And so as investors... So certainly bad. Certainly bad. Certainly it's, bad. That's better, maybe that, bad. That's better than uncertainty. I'm, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, no. that's my, that's exactly my point. Sorry, I didn't mean to right. And so, and so, yeah, I mean, there definitely is some risk that you're factoring in. But as we've all said, the, the valuations around the domestic market are still very bloated by a lot of metrics. And by any, any metric, these Chinese stocks are extremely cheap. And so I just think as you're looking for where you're going to get that incremental yield, it's at least worth exploring. Another signal on China. So today we got the announcement that that essentially it seems like Ant Financial is going to settle with the Chinese government on a fine of around a billion dollars. They've been working on this for three months. These are the moments I think you're waiting. I, I, I think the, the, the government has pushed hard. They've smacked down Jack Ma. They've smacked down everything Baba related. So Ant as a function of that company and they were ready to go public. I just I think we're seeing a little bit. I, I want to believe and there is no certainty around this. So and I've said this, too. But I, I feel like this is a little bit of that denouement. We did. Some, mm. We spoke some French last denouement. night with Jules last night. As well, that just uh, and you were so you were come see come sigh at it too. Wow, your knowledge is really more extensive than I thought. (laughs) Oh, that's it though. That's all. All right, coming up, we're watching Nordstrom after hour shares on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the details in the quarter next. Plus, our home builders turning a corner. Analysts getting bullish on the group. So, could these names be a solid foundation for your portfolio? It's an open house on this trade. Next, fast money's back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Nordstrom. Shares of the retailer dropping despite a beat on revenue and profit. Adjusted earnings coming in at 20 cents a share, six cents above estimates. Revenues fell by two and a half percent to three point five five billion dollars. Nordstrom also reaffirming its revenue guidance for the year, but lowered its earnings outlook. Melissa Repko has been listening in on the earnings call. Um, Melissa, so far, what are you hearing? Hi, Melissa. I guess it's important to note that while it is a beat for Nordstrom, it had lowered its forecast during the summer. It was one of many retailers to do that. So it had a low bar to beat. It also had weakness, despite the fact that it's in a lot of sweet spots for retail right now, occasion wear, luxury, and off-price. Its chain Nordstrom Rack actually saw net sales drop by 2%. And again, you know, we saw Ross and TJ Maxx put up pretty strong numbers in that category last week. The third thing that jumped out at me is that the company said they are getting in a cleaner position with inventory, and they're saying they feel prepared going into the holidays with some fresh merchandise, gifts, and apparel that people may want for holiday parties. It it seems, well, I mean, I associate Nordstrom with a higher-end consumer. Is the message here that the higher-end is hurting? You know, it it is a little bit confusing because it conflicts with what we heard from Macy's a week ago. I spoke to Jeff Gannett, the CEO of Macy's, and he was saying luxury was a real strength for them. But with Nordstrom, we're not hearing that as much. They talked more about how they're seeing a weakness among lower income consumers. And it seems that their luxury consumers and higher end consumers are not able to make up for it in the same way that the Macy's saw with Bloomingdale's. Right. And there is an issue of calendar, correct, because their anniversary sale was like two weeks later or something. That was one of their excuses. Yes, that is definitely a dynamic. Another thing about timing that's interesting is that holiday shopping seems to be going back to more of a pre-pandemic cadence. So it did mention, like we heard from a number of retailers, including Macy's and Target and Kohl's, that there was a slowdown in late October and early November, and they're anticipating a lot of sales to turn up closer to Black Friday. So a lot of anticipation is building for Black Friday going into Cyber Monday because of that kind of lull in sales. All right. Melissa, thanks. Melissa Repko. Uh, What do you make of Nordstrom, Guy? 180 basis point miss on operating margins is not good. The full year guidance given a five cent beat was not good. Revenue miss, not good. Uh, I'll tell you what is good. Merchandise inventory is up only half of one percent year over year. That's good. That should augur well for margins going forward. But This stock is in a seven and a half year downtrend from like February of 2015. Again, a series of lower highs and lower lows. And I think we just saw the same thing happen again. So I don't think you necessarily can own this stock, despite what people say it's cheap on valuation. Well, 15 percent short interest. uh, You would have expected anything decent to pop this stock like it did Abercrombie and and, and American Eagle and all these other. And I know they're not a Nordstrom's, but but if you think about what's going on in the retail sector, a lot of these stocks have been targets and and they've been targets for a reason. And, you know, the fact that they cut their profit forecast, I think, is really what the profitability factor here is what's an issue. And I think, you know, Macy's would love to be considered as classy as Nordstrom's. But I think Macy's Macy's client base is very different. Macy's balance sheet's different. Um, You know, Macy's you can own here. And, and I think that was part of the difference here. But it was it was an interesting day for retail overall because this was a story of a ton of companies. And now we're going to talk about Best Buy. So. Yeah, Best Buy topping the tape today uh, after the big box retailer posted better than expected revenue and earnings for its latest quarter. Maintain its outlook for the holidays. The company did, of course, cut its guidance for the year over the summer. Best Buy was among a slew of mall stocks turning in positive quarterly report cards today. So is this a sign of strength? For the consumer, really getting a, a mixed bag here. But for, for Best Buy specifically, it seems like the bar was so low. This is one of these 
retailers that, you know, nobody's going to buy electronics. It's going to be terrible. Everybody, you know, there's pull forward. Everybody has a laptop on when here we are. Nice pop here. Yeah, I just really think it's about uh, what they reported versus what expectations were. For instance, in the case of uh, Nordstrom, you look at them versus a lot of the other retailers. They were down. I, or I think they were about flat for the year, maybe down or up one one percent. You see a lot of these other names with high short interest that have been down like 20 percent. And to, to Best Buy's point, you're seeing their competitors tell you a very different story in terms of inventory management. And I think they even gave a bit of a cautionary tale as it pertains to uh, promotional um, promotional advancements going forward. So I, I do think that's still a bit of overhang on the stock. Yeah. I feel like we have the same conversation this week every year heading into like kind of Friday-ish, Black Friday and Cyber yeah. Monday. And especially when you have. Are these... you sleeping out, by the way? On no. Thanksgiving? I mean, like, here's the thing. I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, <laughs> you know, my peeps at Rag and Bones. I already, clear. I, I already, I already got the email. I already yeah. got the email yesterday about, about 25% off the whole thing, the whole shebang. There's no sleeping out. There's no doing anything. They're just promotional. But I mean, if they're promotional even before Black Friday starts and they're saying 25% off everything, imagine what is the going to be three weeks from And now. that's where I was going. I, I feel like it's always this kind of enthusiasm, excitement, you know, about basically maybe working off inventories or doing better than they did year over year. And, and But then it gets bad again in Q1. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I, I think that Tim just mentioned this. Savings rates going up, down. Consumer credit's going up. I mean, it's kind of like the death rattle, I think, for some of these retailers after the three years well, that we've Best had. Buy even said one of their headlines was, we see a drawdown in consumer savings. I mean, they're, they're commenting. Yeah. They can see it. They can see it. Their balances, they can see it in their credit cards, their Best Buy cards, and 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 and, and yet they said their their premium mix of products has not been affected. So they they do have uh, kind of this barbell customer approach, and right. some some part of of the consumer space is doing very well. All right. No, because like I look at you because I know you go to Best Buy with a with the it's like a legal pad and you take notes. And then you walk out. You don't even buy, like, gummy bears on the no, way out. No, buy it online. The impl- From the best <laughs> See, that should be. If you're going to do that. At least she's I mean, not sitting on the leather couch at Best Buy all I, Sunday I, afternoon I do watching that. the football yes, game. I do. I mean, yes, I do. I'm a draw. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're a draw. <laughs> yeah, <I'm a> draw. <laughs> There's a lot sure. more fast money to come. Here's what's up next. Home is where the builders are. Analysts laying the foundation for what could be a very constructive trade. So will this call hit the nail on the head? The details next. Plus, the FTX fallout continues. And we're talking to one exchange exec who's got some harsh words for former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. The latest on the crypto collapse ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. J.P. Morgan out with a big call on the home builders, saying the group is ready to turn a corner. Analysts saying the group has already priced in a recession and that a potential end to the Fed's tightening cycle in the first half of next year could be a positive catalyst. Pulte, KB Home, Lennar, KB Home, 
Oh, I said that already. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, all rising in today's session. KB Home. <laughs> that rose too. Also KB Home. All right. Uh, Bono and you <laughs> keep me a close eye. You've been negative, but can you see how this argument of uh, you know, may hold up. At least around KB home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a credible argument. I think a lot of times when, you, when you're talking about the data dependency of the Fed, a lot of the data is a bit lagging, and you start to see these prices trough before the data troughs. And so from that lens, I do think it makes a lot of sense. I will say that I do think some of the upside is also priced in. These names are up 20 25% since that, since that October trough. So I think some of the steam is a bit taken out here. And I, I would be a little cautious in terms of stepping in here. I, I think that the Fed has kind of told us, despite the wide range of Fed commentary that we've gotten over the last seven to 10 days, that we are probably going to be at this elevated level for a protracted period of time. And so uh, with the pivot off the table, I'm not sure I'm rushing into the, into the builders. No, it's fair. It could be as simplistic, though, as if rates come down, home builders are at least going to find a floor. And a lot of these names are down 35 to 45 percent since this time last year. And it's still not it's really not a demand. Pro- the problem with housing, Tim talks about, it, it's a supply thing. So it, they have not felt the pressure yet the stocks have. So I think if 10-year yields go to 3.5%, I think you could trade these names from the long side. A lot of their inputs have come down also tremendously. But lumber, I mean, maybe wages have not. But there's uh, some margin expansion there. Well, there should be. And, and so that should counterbalance at least where uh, we, we talk about the velocity of the housing industry is going to grind, is, has, has ground to a halt. And I do agree with Guy, though, that there's, there's a, a one brain cell trade attached to home builders that's, that's fair. And I, and I think the home builders um, who also are able to offer, in many cases, credit on their own, if rates come down a little bit, um, they can. the question is, how promotional are they going to be? Yeah, we get qu- asked questions all the time. Like, what do you do in a declining rate environment? Or, you know, the knee jerk reaction would be, if rates do come down meaningful, you're going to want to buy home builders, right? Like, that's kind of one of the first things. And, you know, again, I don't know how you guys are feeling about the home lenders. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, um, kind of this uh, inverted yield curve and what it means for, for lending. We talked about net interest margins when rates started going up. I mean, when I think about the banks, which we have not talked about the banks in a very long we time, have. really, since... Who have outperformed the, the market since their earnings. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, you can pick... As, as Carter says, you can pick your lines anywhere yeah, you yeah, want, yeah. and uh, you know. But at least you know banks have outperformed <laughs> in an environment where you know the, the the mortgage dynamics gotten worse, but lending spreads. And, have and the only reason I bring it up, while well, she keeps coughing over, uh, well, we're trying, we're well, trying to talk keeps, over. Well, while she keeps <laughs> coughing over, over, over <laughs> KB Home. Um, I, <laughs> I just say it's like they're kind of discounting possibly, you know, the the, the home lending turning at some point. I guess. You, know, you start on air at 6 a.m. Sometimes it catches I know. up with you. You don't realize it. And then all of a sudden you're talking KB Holmes and then you start so coughing. Now, Dan, we're, we're, we, we're the one <laughs> making guys, fun of the girl who's been working all day. Yeah, I mean, we call women No, I appreciate days, it. You guys are like fine. brothers to me. All right, coming up. <laughs> the FTX fallout continues as bankruptcy hearings get underway. The grim picture we are getting of the firm's finances ahead. And we'll talk to the man who called out Sam Bankman-Fried months ago. CME Group Chairman and CEO Terry Duffy joins us next with the red flags he saw. Fast Money's back right after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. All three major indices closing out in the green. The Dow jumping nearly 400 points and the S&P and Nasdaq both up 1.3 percent. The S&P closing above the 4,000 mark for the first time in more than two months. And take a look at some of the stocks hitting all-time highs today. Marathon Petroleum, TJX Companies, Merck, 
among those names. China COVID policy still weighing on Chinese tech stocks, though. The K-Web down nearly 2% today's session. Day one of the FTX bankruptcy hearing in Delaware, it is the biggest crypto collapse on record. Our Eamon Javers is there with the very latest. So, Eamon, what's, what you learned today? Well, Melissa, this was the day for the lawyers for John Ray, the new CEO of FTX, to explain what they know so far as they've been sifting through the wreckage of this company over the past couple of days. We learned a couple of new things, including that there are cyber attacks against this company, and they're trying to defend against those by hiring a cybersecurity firm. They said they can't even name the cybersecurity firm because that firm could be attacked as well. So it sounds like an aggressive game of back and forth in cyberspace over these assets. Also, they're saying that a substantial number of the assets here are simply missing, possibly stolen. They're still trying to get their arms around that information. And the lawyers here that we spoke to today, a number of them saying that they estimate this process, which began in court today, could go on for years, not just months, because this is such a complicated and likely highly litigious bankruptcy. We saw a dispute today over the names of the customers of FTX. One of the big questions here was, would those names become public? The company's lawyers argued in court that those names should be considered confidential. Uh, the, the U.S. side of this case argued, no, 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 those names need to be public. There needs to be transparency here. In the end, though, the judge sided with the company and said that those customer names will not be made public anytime soon anyway. And the, the reason for that is because there's different regulation in Europe than in the United States on digital privacy. The argument was it would be unfair for European uh, clients to be private and American clients to be public. So they're going to keep them all private for now. But the judge reserved the right to change his mind on that. So if you have money on that exchange and you are one of those customers, your name will not come out in this bankruptcy, at least not soon, Melissa. But that's still TBD over the long run. Back over to you. Thank you very much. Eamon Javers outside the bankruptcy court in Delaware. One major exchange CEO suspected trouble FTX over six months ago. CME Group CEO Terry Duffy says he told FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried to face, quote, to his face, I should say, you're a fraud, you're an absolute fraud. That was back in March during a meeting with him. Duffy recounted this conversation just days ago with Guy and Dan for their podcast on the tape. Terry Duffy is here now to take us deeper into that encounter. Terry, this is Absolutely fascinating. And and what we're finding out now is no surprise to you months ago. How long did it take you to figure out that this guy was a fraud? Well, Melissa, I don't know if I knew he was a fraud right away. I just didn't, you know, know what his business was. Here he is. He's trading a, a, an inefficient arbitrage out of Hong Kong, making all this money, supposedly. And the next thing I know, he's going to buy CME. He's going to buy Goldman Sachs and everybody else. He's making all these different allegations of what he wants to do. So there, I met him, as you said, uh, when I gave Guy and Dan the podcast the other day. But what is really interesting is how this whole thing came about, which kind of got my interest up about he is a fraud. And I met earlier in the day with the head of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and I asked, why are you not dismissing this application out of hand? And he said, because under Section 5B of the Commodity Exchange Act, which calls for innovation, he has to look at it. And I said to him, I said, you don't have to, under the Commodity Exchange Act, have to accept anything that's innovation that puts risk management at the, at the back seat of this. And, and that's exactly what was going on. So right away, my suspicions were up. At why is there so much pressure coming for this application? Then when I met with him, I knew right away, I said, this is a joke. This is absolutely going nowhere. And then you look who he's traveling with. He's traveling with Mark Weijin, the former chairman of the CFTC. Now, what was Mark doing for him? I have no idea. Was it credibility or just carrying his briefcase or I should say his backpack? 
And then he's got Ryan Miller. Ryan Miller is the former uh, counsel at the CFTC and became general counsel of the CFTC. And this guy sitting at a bar could barely pick his head up saying to me, why won't you let us grow? I said, he said he's worth $26 billion. I'm assuming you've been growing pretty good here. So you could see there were so many different red flags. And mm-hmm. then when I got to Washington, you're looking at people like Mike Conway, former head of the, the Ag Committee, who was an FTX lobbyist. And I heard all these different things coming out of members of Congress. Were they putting pressure on the CFTC? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, there's a hearing come December 1st, and I hope someone has the courage to ask, was anybody putting pressure on the CFTC to move forward with an application that could have put everything at risk? And Melissa, let me say one more thing, which I think is really important. I told my team this had nothing to do with crypto. What he wanted to do was he wanted to list all asset classes, mine, the intercontinental exchanges, and everybody else's under his model, which would have been, as I said, a biblical disaster. Is it your allegation, Terry, that, um, for lack of a better term, that he had lawmakers in his pocket? Um, I mean, looking back on it, he was a major donor in the midterms. No, you're not saying that because, I mean, to put pressure on the CFTC is coming from someplace. $40 million second largest donor. I want to know where the money came from, and that's what you'd be asking. Is that customer's money or was it his? Is the $16 million house that his parents are living in, is that customer money's or did he make that? Where's all this money coming from? All the, the people, the, the 10 people living in a $40 million condo, whose money is that? Whose were money were they spending? Unsuspecting clients commingling the funds? I don't know the answer to that. So I think a lot of questions need to be answered. But I did say in Congress, Melissa, right after UST, uh, collapsed and it lost 85%. I said his proposal will do the exact same thing. I didn't know how right I would be in a very short period of time. You got reprimanded for your testimony in front of Congress. I got did. Terry. Yeah, I got reprimanded yeah. by a guy that didn't have the courage to show up, but he had to come on a Zoom named Ro Khan out of California telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. I don't think Mr. Khan has a clue what he's talking about. So I'm prepared to debate him at all costs or at any time. But, you know, I don't appreciate that because he told me I was under oath and I, he said that they do have capital. I said they do not have, they have ca- capital under regulatory <laughs> regime, but they don't have margin capital, which I'm holding an additional $200 billion that they don't. That's the capital I was referring to. He was not quite quick enough to understand that. When you take a look back, Terry, at this whole thing, are you surprised by how many people got taken for this ride? that Sam Bankman-Fried created, whether it be the investors in this thing, whether it be lawmakers, regulators, you name it. No, I'm not. No. When you have the greatest quarterback of all time and the supermodel wife doing a commercial, picking up the phone saying, are you in? Are you in? Are you in? To me, it looks like a pump and dump scheme if you watch that commercial. And I watched it again today. People get very influenced by people like Tom and and his wife and others or his ex-wife. So, no, I'm not surprised, and I'm not surprised by the baggy shorts and the big T-shirt because it's a gimmick, and most people that wear a gimmick are also selling a gimmick. Terry, it's, it's uh, always great to get your take on things, especially from, from where you sit at the CME. Um, do you think every single regulatory agency should be ashamed of themselves at this point, whether it be the CFTC, whether it be the SEC? It seems like everybody... You fell asleep at the wheel. You know, Melissa, I'll say this. 
it's too early to make those comments. There's going to be a lot of hearings going on in the future. Let's follow the money. Let's see who knew what, when and where. And then we'll make we'll draw those conclusions in. All right. Well, we always like uh, to talk to you, Terry. Uh, always enjoy Thanks, it. We know Melissa. you're a, a fan of the show and you watch every single night. We get emails randomly from you every single night. You don't have and, a dummy. Uh, <laughs> you don't have a dummy on tonight, do you? He's not right on here. Oh, you're right there. Sorry, buddy. Uh, sorry. <laughs> and uh, if we do get Rokana, we hope you'll come back because that should be a, an interesting oh, I'd exchange. Love to, I would love to hear to come what uh, the congressman has to say for himself on, yeah, on missing that one. Yeah, I'd love one. to talk to the congressman myself. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, thank you. Terry Duffy. All right, so he, he sniffed it out early. Early. Well, and, and, and he, he talked about, though, a collection of people around uh, SBF right. that, that sent the signal that there was at least people that could help prime the pump of the system. But what I think is also interesting to hear Terry talk about is how, um, first of all, he, he's very much in favor of trading digital assets. And that, you know, I think that his quote is something like, you know, one bad apple doesn't spoil the bunch. And, and if anything, it really is the time for the real exchanges to step up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, which well, which start to pick up? Um, you know, what was interesting to me is that, from my understanding, is that Terry actually offered to help with risk management of this whole operation mm-hmm. and was rebuffed yeah. quite profusely. And I think I, I, I was waiting for that. That is a red flag of all red flags. When you have someone that's so proficient at doing that, you're talking about the CME here, and you are looking to circumvent what is a tried and true situation when it comes to risk management. I think that that was very telling. Full disclosure, I mean, Terry's a friend. I've known Terry since the late 1980s, just so we understand. He watches the show. CME is a sponsor of our podcast. With all that said, Ro Khanna said to him, sir, you don't know much about cryptocurrencies. You're opining about cryptocurrencies, and you're giving false statements to Congress. That's patently false. He was telling Congress the truth. This is the same Terry Duffy, by the way, that sniffed out John Corzine many years ago and warned people about them. So at some point, some of these geniuses should start listening to Terry Duffy instead of uh, being, I want to say a word that I won't use, but instead of being rude to him. Glib. Well... You know, Guy and I were having this conversation with Terry. Mm-hmm. We were being recorded. I, we almost kind of fell off our seats when he's telling us yeah. this, okay? But here's the thing. And people will say, well, why didn't he say anything? He did. He, he went to yes. Congress two months it's later. And I'm going to read from his testimony what he said. He said, FTX proposal is glaringly deficient and poses significant risk to market stability and market participants. That was in May of this year. I mean, he laid it all out. And if you didn't like the back and forth with him and Ro Khanna, you could have read this testimony mm-hmm. ahead of time. And it was all there. So, again, kudos to Terry. Coming up, deer in our headlights. We're breaking down how options traders are playing the name ahead of earnings tomorrow. We'll uh, mow right into that trade next. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Checking out uh, Deer here. Ticking higher today ahead of the company's earnings report tomorrow morning. The industrial name has been a big winner this year, up more than 21%. And options traders are betting the run can continue. Mike Coe is on the fast line with the action. Mike. Yeah, hi, Mel. We saw more than three times the average daily options volume in Deer today. And one of the contracts that saw the most opening activity was the weekly 440 strike calls. Buyers of those were paying about $1.60 a contract and betting that the stock will move up above that 440 strike price by at least the dollar sixty that they paid. The stock has historically averaged about 4.4 percent or so, and that's approximately what the options market is implying right now. Of course, if you're trying to chase stocks at this point, I think buying calls is probably the right way to go. Tim, what do you think, Adir? 
I like it. Uh, I think the cyclicality of this business, though, for this cycle of where commodities are, it, it continues to work. The valuation, um, not terribly expensive, at least relative to itself. And I just, you know, despite the fact that lumber and some cost inputs and commodity land have come cheaper, um, this is a time where the ag world is still a place where I think we need a lot more deer. So I like it. All right, Mike Coe, thank you for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the next full show, which is next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, going short for the holidays, we're taking a look at some asset classes investors are most heavily betting against right now and finding out which side of the trade you should be on. More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out some of the ETFs investors are shorting going into the holidays. Oil and gas, high-yield corporate bonds, semis, biotech, and small caps. All groups investors are betting to, that they will head lower into the end of the year. So would you agree? That's a, as a percent of shares outstanding. So they're pretty high here. Bonwin? Yeah, so let's see. XOP, I think that's one. that one's a little uh, volatile here. I think the short-term trend is probably lower, but I would be looking... I'd be looking to, to trade out of that one pretty quickly. HYG is the one. I understand why people are shorting. We've talked about that for a while. I think Karen had been short that in LQD for a while successfully. I still think it's lower. I think credit's going to be the thing that turns the Fed. Credit hasn't broken yet. I think but, it's inevitable that it will. But do you get enough bang for your buck? Probably in other words, not. this is probably the deal. Uh, yeah. You can call credit right. And in fact, we've seen this over the last six months when it bottomed. But um, I would go with IWM just because I think it is the most. And, I, and it, the reason the short interest is out there, because I think I just think it's a hedge for people. It's the, to me the most cyclical small cap stocks. This is why we used to short the IWM against emerging markets. It was a very close correlation. And I think you do that here. Was XLF up there? No, but you Pay can put it Dan. up there. The cheapest thing you can do. Yeah, well, well here's the thing. Look at that, that XLF chart. If you've got a one year, it's banging up against this $36 level. It's above its 200-day moving average. It looks like it wants to what, guy? Party. Yeah. Party. Yeah, just technically. Party mean breakout? Yeah. What do you think of the semiconductor? You said before that you'd buy Taiwan Semi specifically, hand over fist. I would buy Taiwan Semi hand over fist the minute I hear Apple warn, because I think there's that kind of a leak. Let, Let you have that flush. Then you wave that baby in. But I think Taiwan Semi was treated like a China stock for a long time. And I think it's actually now outperforming the rest of the semis. But semis have been trading heroically when you consider the move they've had, how they've hung in there this week. All right. Up next, final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of English soccer club Manchester United soaring nearly 15% today and reports that the Glazer family is considering selling its stake. The company also announcing the departure of star forward Cristiano Ronaldo. Bonoin is our um, chief <laughs> soccer correspondent here. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else knows anything about soccer much. I can say that, yeah. but I want to hear, I okay. hear what well, the man I mean, has mo- to say most valuable, it, Most valuable franchise in the world. I think it says something, but they can't hold on to Cristiano Ronaldo, which uh, maybe it's a good time. Talk to about Messi. For the let's, let's get a Messi recap post. Oh, yeah. Well, did you see Argentina? Yeah, I, did you see Argentina this morning? Like, oh, drop the ball? As they, as they have been doing. Yeah. Another show. Guy has a hot take. He thinks the uh, Saudis bought the Argentines. 
unsubscribe. Uh, time for the final trade. <laughs> Let's go from Tim. There was a time Baba was a leader in the mega cap tech stock World Cup, but it's fallen under the times we've talked about. I think Baba is about to break out. I also think EM is breaking out with the weaker dollar. Bono in. Spy, but from the lens of volatility. I think you either need to be buying puts here with VIX around 21 or buying calls to replace stocks. Dan. Yeah, if we're going to get a Santa rally, this XLF, the banks look like they want to get unchanged, and Guy thinks it looks like it wants to party. If yeah. those footballers on Argentina start playing Lambos, you know there was a problem there, <laughs> sister. Goldman Sachs, I'm with Dan Nathan on this one. All right, thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.